Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind. Myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in the upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. Uh, big off-field news in the Peace on World this week is that there is no Tom Savage with us. He's um, currently in hospital trying to deliver a baby. Not his, but he's just trying to deliver it. Um, We've branched out from weddings to midwifery. <laughs> he's, on, he's only on apprenticeship there, so we'll see how he gets on. The family we'll business, it's all, it's all about who you know. <laughs> yeah. so, hopefully he'll be back next week to, to fill us in on the details. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that. And uh, Jeff, how has your week been? Uh, week has been busy, yeah, busy. Lots of rugby in it. Um, watched two games on Sunday. Uh, watched a uh, school's game there yesterday, which would be Tuesday, because this goes out on Thursday. So again, this whole time lapse of when this episode goes out is playing havoc. But I'm actually kind of reached a point in my life on where I'm genuinely kind of like, oh, fuck, like rugby again. I have to watch it again. I have to talk about it again. Like I'm really sick of it, to be honest with you. Um, but the games I watched were good. They were good games. Um, a big shout out to the Valbringen men's team who beat the table toppers Eden Derry with the last kick of the game. Uh, it was 12 all. Penalty, penalty, awarded a penalty last play of the game, kicked it over. Great. Like it was one of those ones that's kind of drifting left, drifting left, and then just comes right in, spits the post. It was always oh, a great game. Um, watched the schools game yesterday, Kilkenny College versus Newbridge College. Great game. Um, the Newbridge number 10, um, Martin, I can't remember his first name, but uh, something Martin, I think, was a lovely footballer. So that was great to watch. It was a really good game. He really relaxed. I don't want to say he was nonchalant or anything like that on the ball but actually I said that about a fella there before I used to play with a team in Limerick and um, I used to play with a team in Limerick and there was a fella at 10 um, I won't name any names like but a very funny young man and uh, we were playing one day anyway and like that he dropped the ball whatever and he kind of had a smile and that was fine he dropped the ball again kind of smiled and dropped the ball a third time and again just kind of laughed as if to say you know oh well and I turned to him and I said, will you stop being so nonchalant? And he just went, nonchalant? What are you, a book? <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment on, I always said to myself, never, ever say that word in regards to rugby ever again. <laughs> Middle of a game, what are you, a book? Fair enough. <laughs> Deserved. <laughs> um, what else did I get up to? I'm trying to fill the time. Um, because Tom's not here. Um, I paid maybe the bones of four euro for a small coffee yesterday in South County Dublin. Uh, so that was nice. And I paid a euro for a bite-sized treat that went with it. And uh, that was nice too. I wasn't allowed out of the game for ages. I went to drive out and the stewards had a shit fit. They were like, no, 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 no. Stop. And I was like, that's the gate I came in. Like, there's no, there's no other way out here. Like, And then... Nobody came over, do you know, that kind of way. They just said stop. And that was kind of the end of it. So I got out of the car and I walked across and I was just kind of like, can I leave? Like, And they were like, oh, no, you have to wait till all the crowds have dispersed. And I was like, and how long is that? Like 10 minutes? And the man was like, oh, 15, 20, 25 minutes. And I was like, so I just can't go home is what you're telling me. I just have to sit here in the car 
for the next 20 minutes. And then uh, when I could go home, two women decided to just stand there and have a conversation in front of my car. And even though I pointed repeatedly, kind of, I just like to get, do you know that, that polite point where you're just, I just need, I just need to go over there. And they kind of nodded as if to say, brilliant, and then just didn't move. So I was very grumpy driving home yesterday. Um, and then I got caught. You need to become more. You need to become more Larry David on these things. I don't know. I don't know who that is. He's from Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's it's, he forgoes all sort of social etiquette and niceties. (laughs) Just sort of you know, just gets on with life. He's rude, like (laughs) 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 I'm going to say that from now on. You are are a young man who is forgoing every sort of social etiquette right now. Instead of saying you're a prick or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's my week, just full of rugby and very expensive coffee um in South County Dublin. But otherwise, life's pretty good, I suppose, if that's my biggest complaint. How you you were saying you're quite busy in work. You had to hire an assistant to throw your coffees. Yeah, I had to hire an assistant to throw coffee at the other assistants and staff. So uh, you know, it's giving back to the community, hiring extra people. <laughs> And no, the biggest problem in my life at the moment is, and I think with this podcast, we've moved away from the foundations of what built this podcast, which is uh, to talk about Little, Little and Aldi. I was about to say a very poor first episode where everyone was really polite. Yeah. No, Little and Aldi, we've, we've lost our, our chats about the supermarkets. My local Little is closed at the moment. For, for renovations. Good? Oh, okay. He's no, just for renovations. They're building up into it. A bigger store, and I miss the fact that you can go in and buy like the the baked goods, you know, like the breads and scones and biscuits and stuff like that. And I miss that because it's not the same going back into Aldi. They don't have the bakery section, and it's it's just not right. And I miss it badly now. The till section's too small. It's just too small. The baskets too small. Like I can't stand it. I actually can't stand Aldi. You put like three things in your basket: a bag of porridge peanut butter and uh, I don't know milk and you're like oh time for my second basket like they're just too small it doesn't make sense it's like a child's shopping centre you you don't fork out and get put the two euros in to get the trolley you don't have to fork out you get it back (laughs) (laughs) but I find if I get a trolley like I'll fill it do you know that kind of way you'll be like Seven peanut butters? Yeah, I need seven peanut You don't need seven peanut butters, but you're like, oh, I have the trolley now. Um, I do find... So the, the peanut butter, the milk, bag uh, of porridge, a, a hot tub, and a chainsaw. Yeah. What else could you need? What else could you need? And a petrol chainsaw, because, you know, <laughs> um, you can't rely on the length of the plugs and stuff like that anymore. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I Like, it's just little is better. It's easier to get around. Um, and they have staff that allow you to revolute them to pay your bills. Like it's literally the best place to go shopping. Now we haven't been in Little in a while because, like we've actually you know what we've done. We started getting a Tesco home delivery. Oh, moving up in the world. Yeah, this piece yeah, of money yeah. must be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> what I've done with my share of this free podcast is I've invested heavily in Tesco delivery, but it's just so handy, like as in. They just arrive with your food and you're just like, thank you. And I tell you something for nothing. Every single Tesco delivery person who's come to the house so far 
has been the most polite person I think I've ever come across. They're so nice. They're so sound like. And then they just kind of hand you boxes of food. Like there's no downside to the system. Do you know that kind of way? You get a nice conversation with a very nice person and then they just hand you boxes of food and you don't have to leave your house. It's it's flawless. It's absolutely flawless. What I will say is, like you said, the, the bake section, there's one bread in little. I think I actually mentioned it before and people actually told me what it meant. The low GI bread is actually so nice and little. And I, I really miss that. But aside from that, I'm just like, you know, you're kind of like, you're telling me I don't have to leave the house and someone will come to me with a box of food and be very polite about it. Like, well, yeah, sign me up. This is perfect. This is the perfect business model. Like, What you've got to do is tip the Tesco driver. Or pay him via revenue. Stop off little on the way around. <laughs> Pick up that bread. Any any and special requests? <laughs> like any special requests? It's like don't ring the doorbell. Uh, feel free to leave it on the doorstep. Yeah. Could you Pick swing up. by? Swing by little and get me two loaves of that bread. Please. There's a fiver in it for you. I know yeah but no it's good it's good that's how you do it I suppose I don't know what else we can talk about why was um why were you slagging Birmingham so much last week I didn't listen back and I've no intention of listening back either so yeah we we don't listen to our own work and we certainly don't edit uh, unless it's uh, slander or libelous um no I said last week I was booking um what you call it a city break to Birmingham and it's it's not your average city break. Uh, I'm just Birmingham. I'm just thinking. Did you lose a bet? <laughs> <laughs> See exactly. No, I'm I'm actually uh, what you call it? Going to Crofts. Are you actually going to Crofts? Yeah. No way. Yeah, going to Crofts. That is class. I'd love to go to Crofts. So yeah, we're taking taking the family. All, all of us are going. Going to go across the day and uh, well, stay stay overnight and. Uh, Go see Crofts, see what it's about. Never been, looking really forward. Oh, that actually forward sound, that sounds amazing. I'd love that. Um, the only drawback is that you obviously have to go to Birmingham for it. Well, in fairness, no, I will say, even though we stag Birmingham and stuff, and like I, I have no beef with Birmingham at all. I just feel like I have to say something. But we stayed in Birmingham and got the train to Cardiff um, about four years ago for a Six Nations weekend. And Birmingham was good crack. Like it was lovely little city. Um, so. Yeah, I like Birmingham. It's okay. Birmingham, better than Coventry. <laughs> what a tagline. It's what, the, it's what the tourism board uses. These could be jokes from last week, and I don't know, so they're still funny to me. So if listeners are here going, Fuck, he said that last week, I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> it's all new to Jeff. I think it's funny. <laughs> Will we move on to some sport? Yeah, we might as well talk about it. We'll start with uh, Ulster against Stormers. Ulster won 35-5. Not perfect from Ulster, but exactly what they needed. Big bonus point win at home, get them back on track Um, in the URC. You could see it meant an awful lot to the team, but it's hard. It's hard to see beyond how poor the Stormers were. They had a a weakened squad coming up, two late withdrawals, three injuries before half time. 
and it didn't get much better from there. Yeah, like the Stormers were, I think there's a little bit of both. Like, you, I think you can say Ulster were good and the Stormers were terrible because, you know, that scoreline 35-5, the Stormers were actually very lucky to get that five, I think. Now, it's not a true reflection of the Stormers, obviously, because we know they're a very good team. But I think this was a game that were just like, I could not be arsed dealing with this game now. Um, you know, that's that kind of a thing. And with Ulster, like you said it, it's exactly what they needed. They were allowed to make mistakes and still be in kind of total control. Whereas like those mistakes they made against Sale and that kind of big loss they had that game against La Rochelle, um, you know, that Benetton game when they made errors, like they were punished pretty severely for them. Whereas in this game against the Stormers, they were able to to work on those errors and still make mistakes and accept that, like, but no kind of, but we're not going to be punished here for these errors. So, you know, it's kind of a license to play. Like you, you don't have to go back into your shell or anything like that. I mean, to be perfectly honest, like they kicked the Stormers up and down the pitch. Like, as in, I don't mean they kicked the ball. I mean, literally, they just slaughtered the Stormers in, in pretty much everything they did. Um, One player that stands out for me over the last couple of weeks and he's not played a huge heap for Ulster so far this season, but he's starting to kind of come good, I think, and, and we're starting to probably see the, I don't want to see the benefit of signing him, but like um, we're certainly seeing how good he can be is probably Jeffrey Tamag Allen. Um, he seems to be just kind of starting to show what he actually can do, you know, fully for Ulster. He seems to be enjoying it. Like we saw him dancing there last week after that. Um, was it sail a bit last week um, yeah. or two weeks ago? Like we saw him dancing when the crowd were singing. And then again, he's he's voted player to match there last weekend. And when the camera pans on him, he has another little dance. Like, I mean, how good is it to see a player just enjoying themselves and, you know, having a dance and having the crack with the crowd? And not like, I mean, I know he did it there the last day when the camera was on him. Um, like he only started when the camera was on him. But even against Sale when the crowd were singing and the camera caught him dancing, like he's there having the crack regardless of camera or whatever. He's like, this is class. This is what it should be. And that kind of, I suppose, enthusiasm and happiness, like that feeds, that absolutely feeds. And if he's like that after a game, like having a dance with the crowd and such, can you imagine what he's like in the gym or what he's like at training or, you know, what he's like in the team room or at mealtime or whatever it may be? Like, I can only imagine that kind of happiness is infectious. And I think that is exactly what Ulster need as well as results is that kind of infectious enthusiasm and enjoyment of the game. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's probably only in the last two weeks that he's really been able to show it, you know, for, for a long time. Because, you know, when when you're getting beaten, you don't necessarily want to be dancing in the dugout either, because that that shows a, yeah. a completely different side of things. <laughs> That's a big no no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I thought Ulster. I thought you you hit on it there. Ulster were allowed to make mistakes and weren't punished for it like they have been previously, and that's that's not a necessarily you know uh, a reflection of on Ulster necessarily. It's just they were allowed play. And I think from that point of view, that's what they needed. They needed the chance to run through their, run through the phases, run through their moves. Um, set piece was nice and solid. They had good physical dominance when they needed it. Um, I thought the the Stormers 
game management and kicking game just played completely into the into Ulster's hands. They booted the ball back to to Mike Lowry, and he was just able to make you know mileage off the back of that returning the ball. Um, I still think there's there's that bit of disconnect between the forwards and the backs that you're not seeing that sort of um, combined play and sort of linkage between the between the two. I, I still feel it's very separate. Um, there may be some of that is because they didn't have the likes of McCluskey there to, to sort of that helps build that around. You've, you've got a focal point for it. Um, but it's it's a great... It's a great win for us, exactly what they need. I do think it does point to one potential weakness within the league, though, which is, and this goes both ways when teams are travelling to the Southern Hemisphere and when teams like are coming to the Northern Hemisphere. It's very rare outside of the knockouts that you see full teams going on these tours. So when, when the teams from the, from the Northern Hemisphere go down to the Southern Hemisphere, you're not necessarily seeing all the frontline players go, you know, it's going down with sort of weakened sides or resting internationals or whatever. Um, and to be fair, the South African sides are, are doing that as well when they come north. And I think this was in a, you know, we've seen this with the with the Stormers. They're, they were obviously willing to to rest players for this. Um, it's something... I'm not sure it's going to change much because you know you have to rotate players and you have to you have squad management and and spread out the game time. But at the same time, it doesn't do an awful lot because we'll, we'll talk about it later. You know, you have the Lions on on their visits up here have been getting absolutely walloped, and I I don't think this does an awful lot for the league either with scorelines like this. No, that's a fair point, and. Like you, you think back of some of the teams that went down south as well. Like you're dead right, it does go both ways. Um, I know Leinster there last year. Do you remember they had that tour, uh, to the southern hemisphere down South Africa, and it was just before Europe, I want to say, and it was in around that time, and like that, like their big hitters didn't go, you know, and I think they were never going to go. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of yeah, no, you're not, you're not too, you're not too far wrong. Um, but at the same time, like, and, and I'm just envisaging it, I suppose, from a Northern Hemisphere perspective, like if I was a coach and I said, you know, OK, we're going to finish top four, let's say, or finish top two or whatever. You do look at the schedule and you kind of say to yourself, OK, we're down in South Africa against the Bulls and the Sharks. You're just kind of like, that's going to be two points, like maybe a win, maybe a win. But you're like, you know what? losing bonus point in each maybe a draw pushing a win in one you're kind of like that would be a good result so you're kind of like well why would you risk your top team and your top players for two points like even if you did get that win down in South Africa but like let's say if you're a Leinster for the moment just because they're top and unbeaten and everything so far let's say they did send their top team down to South Africa right uh, your Sextons, your Ring Roses, etc. They get injured. One or two of them gets injured, but you still win the game. Like, that's a real Pyrrhic victory. So you're just kind of like, okay, we did get those maybe four points in South Africa. Didn't necessarily need them, but now we're missing Ring Rose for a European quarterfinal or a semifinal, whatever it may be, you know, or whoever it is that, that went down. So 
it, you do have to box clever at the same time. And I, I know exactly what you're saying. It does kind of take away a bit of the shine um, a little bit. But at the same time, I don't think any coach is sitting there thinking to themselves like, oh, well, this fan is unhappy because I sent X instead of Z. Like, not really my problem, you know, at, no. at the, at the same think, time. I think what will be interesting then, um, will be for Munster. When they, their last two games of the season are, are the, the Tour de South Africa and they could well be still in the, the battle for securing maybe not a top eight place, but I think certainly the Champions Cup, they'll have to finish seventh or above and they could be requiring points and significant points out of those last two games. I think, you know, how they manage that is going to be very interesting. Are they, are they going to send the entire first team squad down there? Yeah, no, it is. And it like probably that's, you won't know till close to the time. Like if they're mm. guaranteed top six, maybe you're like, well, why would you? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Why Why would you risk the the injuries, or why would you risk the the issues that could uh, could arise, like or occur? But it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch. Okay, moving on then to uh, Monster, who uh, won away in Italy uh, thirty forty at the. At the weekend, it was a very strange game. What a banana! <laughs> it was oh, bananas, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was hard to describe the first, like, and and to be first of all, credit to Benetton who are who are missing a load of players, but they played in exactly the same style as they have done all season. They, you know, they're a tough physical side. They have a solid set piece, but they're all willing to attack the game line, and they they create an awful lot of line breaks. And they did the same thing. They they had some lovely lines of running and play on the game line and caused Munster an awful lot of problems. Well, I remember, I think we were saying 10 or 15 minutes into this, this could be an awful long. <laughs> it was almost like the Toulouse game. You know, Jesus, this could be a long day for Munster. Yeah, um, absolutely. And like we said it, uh, do you remember when Ulster were going over to Benetton or over to Treviso, we said it, we were like, this is a sticky game. Like it's a banana skin of a game. Benetton did the exact same thing. Like anytime they turned over, they just kicked it. And now in fairness, Munster did the same. They just made Benetton play deep as well off turnovers and stuff. But like, I'd love to know maybe the stats behind it or, you know, anything like that. Maybe it's just my imagination. But for me, it seems Benetton runs so hard on the ball. Like, yeah, like I know players run fast, etc. But like, it seems to me like when a Benetton player is taking a pass, like he's literally running so hard at the space every single time that that kind of creates that that difficulty in defence. Um, they scored. Did they go ahead early on? They did, didn't they? Um, they did, yeah. I remember they seeing were, that. There were two tries up. Two tries up, yeah, yeah. I was kind of watching it. And at the very start, before the game kicked off, my wife was like, how do you see this going? And I was like, ah, it'll be sticky at times, but Munster will come through this now. Um, comfortable enough, I said. And next thing she came in and like that, she was like, oh, and I was like, don't talk to me about it. <laughs> don't like, don't like, even not, mention it. I was like, not don't. right now, not right now, not right now. Um, but oh, I was like, I'd say if you're a neutral watching it, you're like, this is this is fabulous stuff. Um, but it was a big win though at the same time. I know Benetton were missing like their Italian guys, etc. And I know Munster were missing um, guys up to Ireland as well. So it was, uh, it was, it was a great game to have Joey Carberry for, um, to be honest, and 
it was probably a secret little blessing in disguise, maybe uh, that he was there. But it was um, it was a hell of a game. Uh, just trying to watch it and analyze it afterwards, it was kind of like I don't really know where to begin here. You know, you're like there was no real pattern here. But to hold on uh, for 80 minutes, you know, they had a 20 minute period with with 14 players um, that Bortolami decided to ignore in his post-match comments. And he complained about decisions and stuff like that. Not the fact that, you know, they played against a, a player less for a quarter of the game, um, but each to their own, I suppose. But um, Oh, brilliant game. Like, I think it was the game of the weekend, and that's not biased. Like, I mean, you look at the Ulster game, they smashed it. Leinster were Leinster. Connacht beat the lines in the way we thought they would. Whereas this one was probably the... I know the Benetton scored late, um, and that last try, by the way, from Benetton was a lovely pass. Like, that was a beauty of a pass to off the left to, to score that try. Um, but it was probably the game of the weekend for me, I think. Like, in terms of just sheer enjoyment and this could go either way, kind of. Yeah, look, I I really like what Benetton are doing at the moment. As I said, they, they have some lovely lines around them. But what I admire about them is, even in the, the face of the the rush defence, um, they're willing to go so deep to get to the edge. They're willing to go back 20, 30 metres just to get round. And when they do go round, then once they get that break, they are... Their um their use of the ball, the speed of the rock that they come at you on the lines can cause all sorts of problems. Again, Munster were defensively, I thought defensively poor. I thought last week or the previous week against Toulouse, they were just overwhelmed in the contact area a little bit for the first 20 minutes. And then they, they got on top of that. It wasn't necessarily that they were poor. It's just that I think they got overrun a bit um, against a much bigger team. This one, I think I'd imagine Leamy was... <laughs> tearing them a new one <laughs> during the week. <laughs> I'd say he had some words, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot of stepping off tackles. There was, uh, you know, um, a lot of soap tackles going in there against a team that they wouldn't necessarily um, have expected to concede that level of uh, ground to. Um, I thought there was some poor decision-making at times. I thought Nash going off change things tactically, the move, you know, whatever it was, was it 15, 20 minutes into that and suddenly you have Carberry going back to um, to 15 um, and uh, it, it just changed things for Munster. I thought, um, again, Shane Daly was was excellent. You have the likes, Nash was, was brilliant when he was there and going on. Um, more than anything, this is another step in the right direction for Munster because as as poor as they were defensively, and that's been something that's sort of the what's the best way I can put this? Um, that's unusual for Munster this season for them to be poor defensively. They've generally been very good. Um, their attack was outstanding when they did get the ball. They they were able to create it, and it, again, it's following on from the Toulouse game where we saw you know that brilliant try, Baron try. We saw a lot of good attacking work here, and that that got them the win. It's five points away to Benetton. That's the first time. Is that the first time this season they've been beaten there? No. Is that the first one? Uh, sorry. For, is that the first time they've been beaten at home or the first time in sort of seven or eight rounds they've been beaten there? Benetton. Yeah. Uh could be. Um they, I know I know they have a they've won they've won, they've won seven games so far this season. So I imagine 
they were probably at home. Yeah. And look, it's it's not an easy place. Not everyone's going to pick up, you know, bonus points wins there, certainly. Um for Munster, it was it was the big step up. I think if they lost this one, they were struggling to get eighth place. I think. Yeah, like you look you look at the table, like I mean, yeah, Leinster kind of well ahead now, they're sixteen points ahead there in first. The Stormers are second on forty five, Ulster forty three, the Bulls forty, um, Glasgow thirty nine, Munster thirty seven, Benetton thirty four, and the Sharks thirty three. Now Sharks have two games in hand, which is worth noting. Glasgow have a game in hand, and Ulster have a game in hand, and the Stormers have a game in hand. So I mean, that's still going to play. But let's say even if we say Sharks win one of their two games, let's say they get a uh, a losing bonus as well. Let's say. That puts them to thirty-eight, which pushes Ulster down or Munster down to seventh. You know, Benetton are only three points behind them. It's tight enough. Like, uh, it's it's and even like Edinburgh there on thirty-one, like they're just what two games away really from from passing out Munster. Like Connacht are on thirty, not a million miles away. So it's it's getting with real. with a decent run in for Connacht. A de- and a decent running, yeah, you're dead right. So it's 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 getting very tight there in that kind of fifth to tenth situation. Like I mean, fifth is thirty nine, tenth is thirty. So like I mean, you're talking nine points between those. Was it six places? One, two, three, four, five, six places. Yeah. So it's getting very very tight and uh, very very dangerous looking in that kind of mid table area. Yeah, and like Munster's two final games are going to be against the Stormers and the Sharks, so that's in, going in, to be in, in South Africa. In South Africa, yeah. yeah. So like they're they're going to have to they're going to have to up, certainly up their game, I think, and um or continue on this level of progress to to be there. Um, and it's, not, it's and not, not to mention they're in South Africa a fortnight before that as well for your yeah. I think they go the Sharks, they go. They go sharks in the in the round of sixteen, and then they're back to play the scarlets. Yeah, and, and then, then they're away then them. for that double. Yeah, so it's yeah, fucking, that's a tough, tough four week period. Like, yeah, and I think depending on whether they win, I think they could have two plans in place for whether they win or lose the um, scarlets game round of sixteen game against oh, the sharks. Sorry. Yeah. Because you know, if they win that, do you do you consider you know put, staying putting your first or keeping some of your first team in South Africa and resting them for a week for the two South Africa games, two games there, or if you lose it, you know, do you send everyone back in, in knowing that you know you have to concentrate fully on the on the league? Yeah, well, well I mean that Scarlet's game in the middle, like so far, where are they? They're fourteenth. They've only four wins so far this season. Like, I think at that situation, Munster would back themselves to have a mixed team, maybe, and still come out on top of that game, like do what needs to be done. So yeah, it'll be it's gonna it's gonna be a really tasty kind of run into that that final last three, four, five games, like just to see what needs to happen. So, uh, like, and that's what you want, isn't it? As a like, don't get me wrong, as a fan, I prefer Munster and Leinster situation right now, but I suppose as a fan, like. What this adds is like your team is mid table. It's kind of like well, there's still so much to play for here. Like you're you could be in tenth, ninth, eighth, seventh, sixth. It's not like a top four playoff. It's not like you know 
well, I don't know, whatever it is, like there's still so much to play for. And every game you're just counting permutations and you're like, oh, Jesus, okay, if they do this here now, it's it's like your man in the hangover with all the mats kind of going around his head. Like it's <laughs> it's 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 every week that you're kind of thinking to yourself, like my 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 father, like anytime I'm watching a game, he always goes, this is an important game now. And sometimes you're like, ah, it's actually, it's not too bad. Like, but this year you're just kind of like, yes, like every game is important. It doesn't matter if they're playing Zebra or Leinster. You're like, yes, it absolutely is an important game. And that's, that's kind of what you want as well. Like, yeah, that's, I think a big part of that is the South African teams coming into the league. It's it's made it a stronger, better league. It's, you know, you no longer are able to to coast it through um, and, and get there. So it, it has made a big difference to have them there. I think it is important. Um, move on then, to, or sorry, before we move on from, from uh, Munster, we'll go through the uh, the contract news that came out uh, this week, which saw uh, two scouts, Niall and Rory, uh, re-sign uh, and also saw John Ryan be, uh, they said goodbye to him and then announced that about an hour later he was joining again from the start of next season. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the memories and welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, is is a, a, a very good sign. I mean, like, I think we've seen what John Ryan can do in, in how vital he is to this Munster team in uh, the game against Toulouse, how rock solid that scrum was. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, like absolutely. So getting him signed back, um, and it's funny, like because myself, you, and Tom were talking about it, and we kind of had an inkling of a, a signing, if if that makes sense. And then you know the next day it's like announced, or two three days later it's announced, and you're like, oh, nice one. Like it, it's true, you know. So it's it was a, it was a great bit of news anyway to get and. I think locking down a dog bow as well for is it three years he signed on for? Three years, yeah. He does Fabulous finishes business. out this year. He does next year in the academy, and then has two years on a senior contract. So from his point of view, like I think it's number one, it's great business. But what it also does is it sort of allows him to finish out whatever whatever he's doing in terms of his studies beyond rugby. Um. And things like that and get that sort of he doesn't have to worry about you know if he gets injured is he going to get a contract it's all done for him there he yeah. has that security of knowing what's going to happen he can finish his development in terms of the academy and um outside uh sorry you know whether it's university or whatever he's doing there get that sort of and he still has the security of the contract to go with he is going to be a phenomenal player you know Munster and Irish rugby just don't produce guys like enough guys like him yeah no I, like locking him down was fabulous business i kind of feel the same way i do about him his business that i did do you remember doke signed that four-year contract with ulster and it was like that is good business i kind of feel the same the same kind of way do you know like a young guy mm-hmm. clearly the future lock him in yeah I mean, we'll move on then to <clears throat> leinster against cardiff leinster won 38 14 um I said it beforehand, to me, this was the litmus test for Leinster in terms of they didn't have the spine that they had relied on in previous games. They, they've they always had like a Dan Sheehan who's played so many minutes. They've always, always had the likes of, you know, whether it's James Ryan or Van der Fleer or someone, to, Ross, even Ross Byrne, to come off the bench and change games, from, and you know, to win those games out. They didn't have that here. They had to rely on essentially... A mix of youngsters and a couple of 
And when I, I'm not doing, I don't want to do him a disservice, but the likes of Reese Ruddock, who is a fantastic rugby player, he is, but he is within Leinster a squad player. And, you know, there's no getting away from that. But he's a fabulous player. Jimmy O'Brien is also good. Um, Jimmy O'Brien, fabulous player. Fabulous player. Um, but they, they passed that. They passed it with flying colours. I mean, it was, it goes to show how important the systems and the frameworks are for Leinster. That you can swap the players in and out so much and there is so little impact on that. Yeah. But similar similar to the to the Ulster game, you also have to acknowledge how how poor Cardiff were within this game. It was it was it was nearly as bad as the as the Stormers game, to be honest. They went they went into it and I, I think they almost conceded this when the fixture list was was put out. That's how far back I think they've conceded this. They they came with a a weakened side, so so did Leinster. There is no way that they should be thirty one nil down against that Leinster team. Yeah, you know, on paper you're looking at it there. They came. They had a very poor tactics. They had a very poor kicking game. They kicked the ball long to Leinster all night and gave them the ball. And Leinster just kept hold of the ball and didn't make that many mistakes. Yeah. I think was, I was looking at outside your cover There was one stat that I saw. It was after about 50 minutes of the game. And I think Leinster had to make 31. It was about 30 odd tackles at that point. After 50 minutes? Yeah. Wow. Because Cardiff did not start playing until the last 20 minutes. Like thirty tackles after fifty odd minutes is wow. Like that's a dream, isn't it? Like, like you're not doing anything, yeah. There's at least five players on that pitch who hadn't tackled someone at that stage. When you think about it, like when you think about those numbers, like the vast majority of them are probably attributed to the forwards. So you definitely have a number of players on the pitch fifty minutes in who are like, I've actually not made a tackle yet today. Like that's wild. Yeah, I, I, and and then you have Will Connors um coming on and making what seemed like 400 tackles in six minutes or whatever it was. Um, yeah, he, didn't he make like 14 was... tackles or something like that? And I'd have to Same. double check, but he made a rake of tackles in about 20 minutes. So like, I mean, when, when you like, he, actually, do you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to look it up there. But just on what you said in the system, in terms of, how would you say, in terms of, dropping players in like we talked about this there I think the last week it really doesn't matter who Leinster play like they will f- or like in terms of what players they put out I should say they will fully be no problem in terms of you know who the systems in terms of what to do uh, being in you know surviving chaos or anything like that like they absolutely do not mind at all who they play and I think at this stage and it's something I said last week or maybe two weeks ago they have earned the right to absolutely put out whoever they want until they get to the serious end of the season and still expect to to um to come out on top. No, just had a quick look there. Will Connors made sixteen tackles after coming onto the pitch. Um, what which, what time did he come on? I think did he come on at about sixty odd, maybe. Um, I'll find I'll find it here. No, um, full timeline. This is what people tune in for, isn't it? To hear me kind of go. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, Will Connors came on in 56 minutes. And he made 20. No, he made, he made 16 tackles in 24 minutes. 16 tackles in 24 minutes. 
because they, they, they were making no they were making no tackles up to that point because it wasn't until the, uh, I'm just looking at it there Leinster made was it all seven subs at the same time yeah I'm actually pretty, looking pretty at, much within a couple of minutes um, on the 56 minutes McGrath Milne uh, Alatoa McKee Penny Ruddock Burns so that's what one two three four yeah seven Seven so subs in 56 subs. minutes. Or no, 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 it wasn't. Excuse me, over a 10-minute period. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, But still, yeah, they, oh, they were well in charge. Like, I'm kind of, you're kind of at the point now where, do you know Do you know what actually sums up Leinster for me real well? Do you remember back the 2011 World Cup? I think Ireland bet Australia. It was that the, was that the, the World Cup where Ferris picked up Guinea? Was that 2011? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. Friends of mine were over at the, that World Cup, and after the Australia game, they they told a story of they met this New Zealand guy, and sure they were bouncing after that Australia win, so they're real happy, whatever. And they met this New Zealand guy, and the New Zealand guy said, "I'm really jealous of how you feel." And your man was like, "But sure, you win all the time, like." And the 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 Kiwi guy said, "Yeah, but we expect to win. We're used to winning." Like beating Australia, like you did there, like don't like he what he no your man told the story better than I am. Like he said, he wasn't insulting or anything like that. It was just like the conversation, kind of about the mindset. He was like, like he you beat Australia there, that's a big scalp for you. Whereas for us, that's just another day in the office. Like so what? And that kind of you know that Leinster win there at the weekend against Cardiff. You're just kind of like. What did you yeah. expect? What did you expect? Like, why are you surprised? Yes. Do you know that kind of? And I know that won't be the same way for the rest of the season when you get to the business end of Europe and you know the the business end of the URC when the South African teams you know are are, are back to full strength, etc. Um, as we saw last year, you know. But for the moment, it's kind of like that game against Cardiff. They blew them away. You know, you're kind of like, what's what's new? Like, it's, what like why are you surprised? And it's kind of. I think last year that's probably why I think I said it last year after they kind of lost that semi-final if you were the the organiser of the URC you're probably you know not, I'm not saying like delighted Leinster lost because it's Leinster I'm saying like for the health of the league and for the good of the league you're thinking to yourself well this narrative of oh sure Leinster are going to win it anyway like that just went out the window straight away and if Leinster do win it this season that narrative still isn't back because they didn't win it last year you know they lost in that semi-final so I mean, if it, at the moment, though, it's just kind of like, yeah, I mean, like the smart money's on Leinster. You know, like David and Goliath was a once-off. It's, of course, the smart money's on Leinster. And uh, to be honest with you, look, it, it, makes, it makes our job a lot harder. I mean, what, what can you continue <laughs> to say hate, about Leinster week in, Leinster week in, week out <laughs> about Leinster? Apart from they're good at rugby. And if Tom was if Tom was here, do you know what he'd say? He'd say, "I was watching it, and then I got bored, so I turned it off." Yeah, and you'd just be apart like, from I hate Leinster. Yeah, he'd, well, he'd there's, say that. That. there's that side of it as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, if we want to continue to be critical about it, whatever else, you know, I think there was the the stage where um, what you call it, even at the at the scrum, you know, they, they did they did struggle a little bit at times. Not much that Cardiff did, but it's a continuing team on there. But overall Leinster are just so far ahead of anyone else in, in sort of 
strike plays, open phase, and defensively that you know it's it's not going to be until the very end of the season that they're truly tested. Yes, no, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Moving on then to someone else, another team that we have uh, the same level of respect as the Stormers, the Cardiff, <laughs> um, the Lions. <laughs> Um, who took another kicking on their Northern Hemisphere tour? Uh, Connacht won 43 24. Um, poor as expected. Connacht rolled on, another bonus point win. Um, they big shout out to Jack Carty coming, yeah, top, he top passed, four for Connacht. Yeah, yeah, passes Eric Elwood, who was in the stands watching on the terrace. Um, there, I Again, I I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I think this is this is kind of coming good. They they've played their hardest games. They've done their tour to South Africa. They've played all their uh, Interpro games. So what what they have left? I think they have like Zebra Dragons and a couple of is it it's either Glasgow or Edinburgh. I think they play as well. Um, if they can continue winning, they're, they're in with a shout, an outside chance of getting into those sort of um the top eight European sort of contention it's going to I think they'll have to win everything almost all their games to get right up there but it's not it's not out of the question yet Um, I think the biggest thing that Connacht can take and like I'm I'm going to discount the Lions and show zero respect for them as I have done for a while now at this point they have a scrum and that's lovely but if you can't even figure out how to keep the ball in the scrum to earn the penalty it's not much use to you Um. For me, Connacht have taken their their wins, but they have done it rotating the players. They've given a lot of game time to younger players, like sort of um, Ford has played a lot of twelve over the last couple of games. Uh, you've seen Carty, uh, I suppose, rested in certain games, even in the they're sort of the champion or not Champions Cup, the Challenge Cup games. Parker Penn. Um, for those for those of us old school enough to remember that far. Um and they, they've done it in this game, I thought the likes of um Jack Ainger showed up really, really well. Um, you know, his ball carrying, his even his uh his scrum, I thought he, his scrum work stood up better than I thought it would. Um and certainly his um ability with ball in hand was was fantastic. The likes of Ford and um who I talked about there and Keith Gallon actually on the on the wing. I thought some of his lines of running was excellent. They're they're adding depth to their squad, which I think has been a problem for them previously. They seem to have a lot of good guy, young guys coming up through. They've the Moray brothers and and others that we've talked about there. And even below that, they're building a nice level. You've like Sam Illo and and others who are there that um have the potential over the next. It's probably going to be three to four years, I think, realistically, that they can they can build those together and get together a really really good team, really good squad. But they're not out of it for for this season totally. It'll be a big ask. But oh, it's it's a big ask. Like I mean, they're in tenth at the moment, and we talked about that league table there a second ago. But like, if you look at their last five games now, URC wise, so they have Zebra away, followed by Dragons away. So I mean, I think they will target both of those. Like I mean, Dragons are are they second from second from bottom, but Dragons are on the rise now uh, under Dye Flanagan. Um, they're actually kind of coming good, I suppose. But I, I still think Connacht will... Well, they need to. They, 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 don't, they have no real option, do they? Like they, They'll need to target that. Like, But 
I mean, they have so they have Zebra away, they have Dragons, they have Edin- Edinburgh at home, then um, they have Cardiff at home, and then Glasgow away. So, I mean, Glasgow away is probably the toughest of that five, all due respect to, to Cardiff, Edinburgh, Zebra, and Dragons. But, like, wouldn't it be so good to see it come down to that last game against Glasgow? Like, something like they need two points, they need four, they need five, whatever. But it's a big ask, but absolutely by no stretch are they out of it. Like, they need certain things to go their way as well, I think. But, like, I mean, in this year's URC so far, we've seen things go other teams' way. Like, I mean, you look at just Munster, for example, losing to Dragons. Like, I know it's a, it was a early on in the, the transition, etc. Like, but I still don't think that was part of the plan, if that makes sense. Because, like, when would it be? Like Connacht are intent on 30 points. Uh, they'll probably need in and around 40 plus to finish, maybe top eight, maybe 45 ish, maybe. So, I mean, of those 20 possible 25 points, they can probably afford to drop a game. Definitely not, I don't think, three or two. Sorry. Um, I, I, I think, I think, they'll, I think they'll need to win them all, all five. Yeah. I, I think yeah. if if they want to get European qualification, they're going to need all five. If they want to get, they might be able to drop one and get into the top eight. Yeah, but uh, I think I think what's going to kill them is that the the Welsh, the Welsh league, uh, or sorry, the Welsh shield, shield, um, yeah, 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 is is going to catch people because whoever gets eighth is not going to qualify for the Champions Cup next year. Wasn't it the Welsh shield that cost? Was it Glasgow last year as well? Didn't they finish eighth but didn't get? Europe because or was it uh, no yeah it was Glasgow wasn't it was didn't yeah the Welsh, didn't the Welsh Shield cause controversy last year as well I think it was I have to look it up now um, like um you'd say the other the other teams are a bit like come on guys <laughs> we're trying to finish top eight here. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard enough to finish top eight without you ruining it for everyone <laughs> Yeah, it, it was Glasgow got caught um, because Ospreys were the best-placed Welsh team on ninth. On ninth, yeah, okay. So and they, I mean, they, they obviously got into the Champions Cup and are now into the, the knockout, or well, the round of 16. Yeah, and like when you look at the table now, like I mean, the best-placed Welsh team are in 11th on 29 points. So Connacht, yeah, they're only a point ahead of them. But like, I mean, that really makes no difference if they don't finish top seven at this stage, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. In, ter- in terms of, I think, quarterfinals, I think it's not out of Connacht's reach at all. Uh, like you said, now Europe, a bit different. It's going to be tight to get top seven. Um, but again, what a hell of a running for for the league. Like, you know, if, if you're a league organiser, you're looking at this and you're like, let's say Connacht win the first one, they win the second one. You're kind of like, oh, ratings for that third Connacht game or third last Connacht game? No problem. Sure, like, it sells itself as a product almost. It does. It does. And look, I think, I think it's it's great. If they can win those two games against Zebra and Dragons away, they have two home games. And then it becomes, I think it becomes a once-off game against Glasgow. Fabulously. You know? And so, someone actually just tweeted there and they said, a Sharks win over the Stormers would leave a maximum of nine points separating second and seventh with three of those teams with a game in hand. 
So, I mean, as a product, if you're involved with the URC, and it's probably worth stating at this point, we are in no way affiliated with this league. We are not paid for saying this. But like, if you are an organizer of this league or you've skin in the game of this league, you're just kind of like, this product is perfect. Like, perfect. Just bloody Leinster ruining it for everyone start or finishing in first. But There's always one, isn't there? There's always, always one. one. There's always one. Those bloody Leinster players are too good. Ruining it for everyone. Okay, well then, that's the review of the URC. Uh, well, it's only the small matter. There's no URC games this week. Uh, so thank God. We don't, we don't have, yeah, thank God. We get a break. We get a break from rugby. Sick of um, it. Sick of rugby. Uh, but we do have the Six Nations. So we'll kick off that. Uh, Wales against Ireland this weekend. Gatlin back. But he, he hasn't really thrown too many grenades out there now for the press this week. No. Um, I think he'll peel back. Wales' style of play to make it very, very, very awkward to play against. They will kick, they will truck, they will just be like, nah, like you can take the ball in your own half. We don't want to kind of a thing. Like, do you remember that South Africa Wales semi final? Yeah. Which was just pollution to watch. That was like who, who's going to blink first and actually run with the ball. That's exactly it. I think we might see a bit of Wales like that, and I mean a couple of selections shows like I mean half penny at fifteen, three, six, nine, twelve. You know we're just gonna nothing flash. I don't think we're gonna see anything too flash from Wales at all. It's gonna be peeled back to a very very simple game plan, which is gonna be very effective. I think at the same time. This will be a sticky game. I don't like, you know, some. I think there's some people who would be like, oh, Wales, sure. I mean, you look at that loss against Georgia and you look at, you know, whatever their record over the last couple of years, it's a completely different kettle of fish. Like the way we talk about, like, no respect to Zebra, like, full respect to Wales, like, absolutely full respect to Wales. I think, I, I think, yeah, as you said, look, we know exactly what you're going to get from a Gatlin team. And I think the fact that he hasn't had time with them and has a new coaching team around him means that he's going to have to simplify it probably even more than he would he may have wanted. So he, he's just going to have to go with basics. And I, as you said, I think a lot of his basics are going to be kick the ball along, <laughs> big, big line speed off the, you know, big speed off the defensive line to force Ireland into playing deeper and deeper with the ball. If they want, if Ireland want to play with the ball, force them backwards, test their passing ability on the game line, put them under pressure, take the letter off the ball, and when the opportunities come, as you said, half penny, just post, 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 all the time. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's strange, you know, well, maybe not so strange, but normally Gatlin, as I said, he loves a few grenades out there. He likes to take the pressure away from the players in the lead up to a Six Nations game and he'll put the pressure anywhere on himself or anywhere else. The way Welsh rugby is at the moment, he hasn't had to do anything. They've had so much shit going on in the background here that, you know, the yeah. fact there's a Six Nations coming but up is probably on, on the back pages. It's no longer on the front pages. They have, they have banned Delilah. So things are happening. Um, but 
I don't think he has to lob the grenades either because he simply doesn't have to. Like you can't look at this game. Like I've, I'm, and I, I'm, I'm genuinely a hundred percent. I'm not being disrespectful at all to Wales here, right? You can't look at the game and everything around it and look at the injury profile of both teams and look at where they've gone over the last two years, etc. What they've achieved and say Wales are heavy favourites for this game. You just can't. And this will be Gatlin's first game in charge. You're just kind of like, well, why would I have to deflect away from, you know, saying that Wales are going to win? Why would I have to deflect away from the game plan? Like, it's very clear to any sort of rugby fan, be it the casual fan or inverted commas, the proper fan, whatever. Like, Ireland are far more settled than Wales at the moment, across the board, like in everything. So, like, I mean, Wales are clearly the underdog. So Gatlin can just be like, well, there is no pressure on us. Like, if we show, if we rock up and we rock Ireland and win a game, like, brilliant. If we rock up, put on a good, a very good performance, come up a bit short, whatever, but show that there's instant progression from what we've seen under Pivak, he's already, you know, he's already winning. Like, he's already ahead. So he doesn't actually have to deflect from anything really like and even if we if we go all out and in the event that it's a shit show for Wales he can say well we're still working on getting things right we've not had time we've not had games like there's literally no losing here for him in this game I think there's literally the only way is up yeah it's, it, uh, I'm trying to think when the last time Ireland actually won in Wales even even saying that, it's come back a while, isn't it? Uh, the last game, I can't remember. But then again, like I don't know, I don't remember things that well. To be honest with you, I remember moments in games, but who played where? No, no idea. Yeah, because it was two two thousand twenty one. Uh. Wales won when what you call it, Peter Romani got sent off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't a clue. I genuinely haven't a clue. But like I said, there is no losing for uh, there's no losing here for for Gatland really. Like I mean, whatever happens, there's there's a there's an explanation, you know. And if yeah, I, I think I think he is an easy out. Uh, he he's on the rebuild. He's he's doing what he what he needs to. Um, I I actually Jesus, going back to two thousand and fifteen. That the last one in Wales. Yeah. Uh, let me just check. Yeah, to, to be honest with you, right? I actually no no. What? It's actually it's before that. Thirteen. Ireland, Ireland. I'm checking two thousand and thirteen here now. This is very exciting podcasting, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. 2013 was the last time. It's 10 years. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. That is a while. But a caveat to that. Ireland are just going to have to win. Like in my eyes, yeah. they've won. They've won. They, they have to aim for a grand slam this year. Yeah. And end up. And like you think about it, they beat New Zealand there in New Zealand in a series win. Not just a one-off win, but a series win. You have the best player in the world at number seven. You have someone who was nominated for the best player in the world at number 10. You are the number one team in the world. 
like at what stage do you say like at what stage do you get rid of that mentality of that old Irish mentality of oh sure we'll give it a go and we'll do our best and oh we are the underdog kind of like that's long gone. I, that's absolutely. I, I think I think that's I think that's long gone. But I don't think we're we're as good as we think we are either. Who are um, Yeah, I, I I don't think I don't Fran- think we're France, as, France is the test for me. France is the test, and like, France have fought beaten us three times in a row. I think it is now at this point. We we haven't won in Cardiff since two thousand and thirteen. Like there's this talk, and I agree with it. Ireland are number one in the world. They've come off a successful tour of the of New Zealand, regardless of where New Zealand were in terms of form and whatever else. They had a successful tour, winning tour in the Southern Hemisphere. They have got to go out and prove this, and the the pressure is on Ireland, and they have to back it up to go there. There, like there's no there's no point in talking about oh yeah Ireland could win this or they should you know Ireland should be winning this. They should be talking about a grand slam. The way the fixtures have fallen, and that's that's where they and I assume there's nothing wrong. That's where they they should be mentally on this. But if you look at the actual facts in terms of how many Six Nations titles Ireland have won, when's the last time they had a Grand Slam? Um, you go back into as we said there, when's the last time they won in Cardiff? When's the last time they they've beaten they've beaten France? That doesn't necessarily marry up with the, with the world number one position and everything else. So they've they've got to earn that right to it. It's the same thing talking about Leinster. When like sorry to go back to this, but like same thing talking about Leinster. Leinster are peerless, pretty much, or had been peerless in the URC and Pro Fourteen. They've won one one European Cup in the last day. You know, despite everyone talking about them as being the top team in Europe. That's not necessarily the case. The silverware tells you one in one in ten. The same with Ireland. It's it's you have to go out and back it up. And I think for for Ireland, that's been the hardest thing. I think Farrell potentially brings something different to the table than maybe the likes of Joe Schmidt. And he he now has the team. You go back four years ago, and it was the same. Ireland were there; they were going, and then suddenly it all slipped away. Twelve months coming up to the to the World Cup. This is it for Ireland. Is it the same thing that what everyone else is building towards a World Cup and planning towards an Ireland or sort of, you know, hitting top level 12, 18 months out and then suddenly everyone else catches up now and passes them out. And this is going to be, be the big one. For me, I think Wales can bring, particularly with the team that they've named, they have a relatively strong Five five. They have the likes of Alan Jones and Adam Beard. Decent, decent in the line out. Good mall defense will cause Ireland some problems. I think scrum scrum time. They attacked us last year. They didn't get the rewards for it. Um, it's really around whether they have the cohesion that they need under because they have such a short time under Gatland to make everything else work. I still think Ireland sh- should win this. I just think it's going to be a lot closer than some people think. Oh, it'll, um, be sticky, it'll be a sticky game. Mm, but what I'm, but, what, all I'm saying is, like overall, when you look at the Six Nations, it shouldn't matter to Ireland that it's in Wales. Like if you're if it, you're if you're the player, let's say, you, mm, you you still have that mentality of like I'm I'm winning this because if you don't, what are you there for? Like, it, that, I I just find it. Oh yeah, I just find it. I find it interesting that there will be. 
Actually, I wonder, is there anyone there besides Sexton who will have actually won in Cardiff previously that is in a Six Nations game? That is a good question. I think he's potentially won there. If Connor Murray is in the squad? Oh, maybe. Yeah, depending. Yeah, actually. Jeez, that is a great show. Actually, Keen Healy, if he's in the squad. Um... Could be about it, maybe. That's a fabulous question. Even better if I had an answer for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even better if we didn't have to fill those awkward silences with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just think like when it comes to the Six Nations, people saying, oh, well, we should be focusing on the World Cup. Like it's a stepping stone to it. It's a case of winning's a habit. That mentality is a habit. And I think of all the teams, like we, if we really are the best team in the world, like if we are really number one in the world, you should have that mentality of, yeah, of course, we're aiming for a grand slam. Like, why else are we here? Yeah, you take it game by game. Don't get me wrong. But you have that pure belief of we're going to win a grand slam here. Now, at the same time, you're the best team in the world. Like you're ranked number one in the world. How how do you feel about France? I'm still nervous about that. Like, but the thing is, you have to beat the best to be the best. It's it's that straightforward. Like, and and for me, the Six Nations offers Ireland the chance to do that before heading and tweaking things in the, in those warm up games, etc., and then heading into the World Cup and just absolutely hitting the ground running. I think it's like I I just don't see how losing games is part of a plan. Yeah, look, it's not. Ireland Ireland needs to go out on this. Ireland's weakness is, I still think, around the to be attacked up front. Um France France have that. France have the ability to attack you with size and power up front. Um and still still play fantastic um running rugby on the back of it. Um to me they, even though Ireland may well be the favourites, I, I see France as the most likely winners of the Six Nations overall. Um, with that, and as you said, the decider is going to be for me. It's going to be Ireland, France, England are in the rebuilding phase. I don't think Scotland have the squad, even if they get the form together under Townsend. I don't think they have the squad to challenge over the period of the the tournament um, as needed. I mean, it comes down then to. Uh, on it comes down to Ireland against France and see who can get that. Um, I, I and, think so too. I think that's the game. I think that's the decider. Yeah. Um. So who who are we going for this week? Uh, all three. Yeah, go all three. Well, actually, we'll we'll start with the Ireland game first, and then we'll we'll have a quick look at the other two. Um, I'm going for Ireland anyway. I'll go for Ireland by less than seven. Yeah. That's fair. Um, I'm just going to say flat out Ireland. I'm not going to give a score. Um, I'm well, uh, speaking of scores. Yeah, listeners this can't see. Listeners can't see my grin. I am so far ahead. It's not even worth playing anymore. I'm at least seven ahead. <laughs> I don't know what the score is, but I just know I'm at least seven ahead. So yeah, I'm going for Ireland anyway. Go for Ireland on that. Other games are England against Scotland and Italy-France. Um, Italy-France, I presume we're, we're both going for France. Yeah, 
the headers. Would you love yeah. Italy to win that game? Um, don't see it happening, but wouldn't you love Italy to win that game? It would be typical France to lose this game and then go win all <laughs> other four and take the championship. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm going for Who's at home in that? Italy. Yeah, I'm still going France. Um, yeah, it says France on that one as well. As, as you say, I don't see Italy do well in that. Um, and they, they do occasionally launch an unbelievable surprise but I, I think France will have too much England-Scotland could be a really good game where is that on? Twickenham in uh, Twickenham has Finn Russell when was the last time Finn Russell lost England or has he ever I don't know like so there's loads of little factors Um, you have that Bortwick factor you know again same thing as we talked about Gatland not there that long first game etc Hell of a squad. Whereas you look at Scotland, like how, how long are they under Townsend now? Uh, I don't know actually. Three years, maybe three, yeah, years. And again, just we see flashes of what they can do and flashes of what they can bring, but never probably a consecutive, a consecutive running. But like, I mean, if there's any team they're going to beat or put it up to, of course, you're looking at England. I think I'm going to go with England. Because I think Bortwick is going to peel it back as well. You know, just kick long, trust the D, take points, um, really upset set piece. Very Leicester Tigers-esque of last year, I suppose, and so far this year. Just kind of ruin the game for the opposition more than anything else. So I think I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for an England win, but with sprinkles of little bit of Finn Russell magic uh, just sprinkled on top. Lightly, yeah. dust, lightly dusted. I think, uh, what is it, Scotland's away form in the Six Nations is uh, fairly poor. Um, and as much as sort of you have the new setup similar to Wales, um, new coaching ticket in and the whole lot, I think England at home, it's hard to back against them, get a, a bit of a, a sort of a, a bounce, I think, off from the new coaching ticket, etc. Um on that so yeah I'm going to go England France and Ireland for this weekend yeah same as you're never going to catch me if you keep going with the same teams well I'm just going to keep picking winning teams well, you weren't picking them to begin with <laughs> uh, yeah that's because I need to go back and check the scores because you're obviously making this stuff up uh, win <laughs> been rounding up there folks thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting podcast please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to as it really helps and also be sure to share the podcast on social media hope you have a good week and at least two of the three of us will be back next week to chat again <laughs>